0: Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Wayne Mullins, uh, down in the South and uh, a marketing guru and expert, and so excited for him to share a little bit of his perspective with us today. Wayne, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Sure, Liam.
1: Uh, first of all, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this conversation. Um, as I shared before we hit record or before you hit recorded, I've listened to a few episodes and really love what you do and love the ideas and the concepts that you draw out and bring out for your audience. So I'm excited for this conversation. Um, the, the super quick version of my story is, uh, you know, I graduated from school and in the midst of going to college, I decided, thanks to some CDs that my parents gave me uh, from this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar, that I wanted to go into selling. And so right out of school, I got a job in sales. I quickly learned that I sucked at selling. Um, but over the course of about a three-year period, through you know lots of trial and error, lots of study, I actually got pretty decent at this thing called selling. I got so decent that I got to the point where I would look at my paycheck and I would look at the revenue I was bringing in for the company. And I would look back at my paycheck and like, wow, there's this huge gap between these two numbers. And so this dangerous thought Liam, popped in my head that what if I actually went and sold something for myself? You know, Could I make a lot more money? Would it be more advantageous for me if I did that? Um, and so I, I left a really great corporate sales job eight to five Monday through Friday with all the benefits, very low pressure um, left that job. And the only other skill other than selling I had at that time was cutting grass. Now down here in the South, the lawn care season's a long season. So all throughout high school and throughout college, I cut grass in the summers and during parts of school as well. So I, I knew how to do that, that job. Um, and I knew how to sell. So I, I left the sales job, decided to go into landscape, lawn and landscape, and over the course of a three-year period, I grew that company from zero to the point where I sold the company three years later. Um, we were at the time, so this was—I'm old, or then maybe I look—but this was 20 years ago. Um, and at the time when I when I sold the company, I didn't know a ton about business and structure and financials. I mean, the company was always profitable, and we were always growing, um, but. I just knew that we'd reached the point where, based on the the marketplace that we were in, the only way to continue growing that business would be to expand into other markets. And the next closest market was about 80 miles away, and I really wasn't interested in in making that commute and starting something there. So I decided to sell the company, put it up for sale. Uh, Lo and behold, within a few weeks, I had several offers on the company. So, sold it and didn't have a plan at that point on what to do. But it was out of that rapid growth over that three year period that actually customers from the lawn and landscape company started coming to me and asking me, How are you growing? How are you scaling your company so quickly? And the answer was marketing. And so, it was out of those conversations that I started doing some consulting work. And then, fast forward a little bit, and 13 and a half years ago, ugly mug marketing was born as a full-time venture, I
0: guess. Was it that you kind of discovered and fell into marketing just through, you know, organically what you were doing through those businesses? Or was marketing ever something that, you know, at school or, you know, looking at advertising that, you know, you had an inkling that, you know, this was something that was of interest, you know, versus, it sounds like sales was that initial pull, but kind of where did that love for marketing kind of pop up?
1: Yeah, great question. I think, Liam, that for for me, I mean, first of all, my degree is actually in business with the specialization in marketing. Um, So there was some of it there, but I, I really believe that my desire or passion for marketing was formed when I realized that as a salesperson, that if you marketed yourself well, that it made selling so simple, right? So if I was positioned as a salesperson really well in the mind of the prospect that I was calling on... When I actually went in to pitch what I sold at the time, it was like they were ready just to sign. It didn't require any convincing. It didn't require any persuading. The marketing had done the work for me. And so it was that idea that when you market well, it makes sales all but unnecessary, right? So really, you become an order taker. In other words, you walk in with the order pad, you have them sign it. And you're done because the marketing has done the selling for you. And that, I believe, was really the catalyst that launched me into this passion for marketing and this study of marketing.
0: So you had a successful business, then you started Ugly Mug, which is, uh, by all accounts, been very successful as well. Once you reached that point where you know you had profitability and cash flow that were coming into the business how did you choose to invest you know, um, from those early days at the lawn care business, right? Was it about expanding the business? Was it about uh, you know, buying things for you? Like, how did you think about it? What was your strategic framework? Yeah, so,
1: so jumping back to the, the lawn care company that I had. Um, so again, I didn't understand the fundamentals of business. Like my background was in you know, sales. And so I didn't understand profit and loss. I didn't understand balance sheet. I had an accountant who did all that stuff. And, you know, they would send me every month, they'd send me these reports and I would quickly take those reports and, you know, go to the very bottom of it and like, oh, that was great. Throw it in the drawer. And that was, that was that. Um, So when I had that business, the the more successful the lawn care company became, the more I spent the money, I pulled the money out and spent it. So, you know, during that time, you know, my wife and I both had very nice vehicles. Um, We bought a brand new house. We bought 50 acres of land that we were going to eventually build a nice house on. Um, so, well, a couple of boats. So, I mean, I was pulling the money out and spending the money. Um, in hindsight, obviously, when you get to the point of selling the business, all of those decisions to take distributions out of the company affect the valuation of the company. And I learned those lessons in many ways the hard way. I mean, the business sold, made money from the sale of the business. So, it wasn't like the business wasn't of value. But had I actually known some things about Profit and loss statements about balance sheets and the way all those things work—right, common sense business stuff. Um, the business would have sold for for much more than it did sell for. So, I took those lessons that I learned the hard way over into Ugly Mug Marketing, and my mentality with Ugly Mug Marketing has been the polar opposite. Um, I would say that I'm way, way more conservative with taking distributions, taking money from the company. Um, I pay myself. Um, probably less than I should, but you know, it was a long time ago. Someone gave me the advice that you should pay steaks and eat hot dogs. Pay steak and eat hot dogs, and so I've I've believed and made the commitment from very early on in this company that I wanted to invest in the people within this company. In other words, we're in a service-based business, so you know we sell time at the end of the day, and. For me, that's the highest point of leverage. That is the thing that I can leverage the most in terms of a strict business perspective, ROI, are my people, are the team. The more profitable I can make each team member on my team, in other words, um, the ratio of labor to revenue generated, the higher I can drive that number, the more successful we become as a company. But how you actually go about doing that, how you do it in such a way that is not dehumanizing, that it is truly about their best interest, not your best interest, those have been the true learning lessons for me over these years.
0: So if we, you were talking about the lawn care business and the sale of the lawn care, um, if you were to go back and change one thing in terms of how you would reallocate distributions versus uh, something else... What would that one thing be that you would think ha- would have the highest impact on the sales price of that business?
1: Yeah, I think one thing would be just leaving some of the cash reserves in the business. You know, I was at that at that time pretty much pulling all the cash reserves. I mean, there was a little bit, but pulling all the cash reserves out of the business. And, and so what that prevented from happening was it made scale, you know, beyond our local market. It made it way more difficult, right? So It was going to be a sacrifice to do that, as opposed to have the money there set aside to take that chance to go into the other market. And at the time, I wasn't willing to take that that chance because I was so comfortable with the lifestyle that we created around this this business. So that would be the answer.
0: Is there a portion as you look forward in the ugly mug that you say, you know, this percent of profits or this percent of revenue is reserved for company growth or reinvestment or whatever that thing may be, right? Whether it's a new market, whether it's a new service line, et cetera.
1: Yeah. My answer is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but the answer is all of it. I am extremely um, frugal in terms of pulling from the company. In other words, I'm leaving absolutely as much money as possible into the company to take advantage of opportunities. And we live in a day and age right now where uncertainty rules most of the marketplaces. And it's in that uncertainty that tremendous opportunity lies. And so we have the capital, we have the cash on hand to take advantage of opportunities that, you know, if I'd been pulling out, we would not have those advantages. Um, a, A big part of that, though, is investing back into the people who are already here, who've already made commitments. You know, my team is mostly made up in terms of age, demographics. It's made up of the generation that everyone talks about today. They don't want to work. They play on social media all day. Um, they're, They're lazy. They're, you know, all these negative connotations gets associated with this group, with this generation. And what I can tell you is I've got that same generation working for me. But my team is the polar opposite. And it's because there have been very intentional investments in their development as human beings, as potential leaders, as team members. Um, And so that, to me, is the investment that is worth more than anything. You know, when when someone comes to be a part of our team, I, I tell them on day one, when you leave here, which at some point, more than likely, you will, when you leave here, I want you to be a better person holistically as a result of being here. And so those words can come across as very, you know, like, oh, it's a great pithy saying. It, it, it sounds really good. Um, but I believe that your values aren't your values until they actually cost you something. So it'd be easy for me to say those words and to say, I value that. But until that actually calls stuff something, in other words, until I'm willing to write the check, until I'm willing to invest in those people, then it's just empty words. And so that would be, for me, one of the things that, you know, I believe it's true for every business. We have clients in lots of different industries, but if you are in a labor-intensive, service-based business, you would have a very difficult time convincing me that the investment in your people is not the highest ROI investment you can possibly make.
0: Along those lines, right. We hear a lot of stories about, you know, the mega companies, right. That uh, they've got full cafes, free food, free gyms, right. They're obviously paying top dollar. What's the one investment back into your people that you think has been the most impactful to being able to deliver, you know, them being better people at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I think um, so. Two different paths here with this answer. Number one is genuinely caring about them as individuals, um, and so that often means you have to have conversations and you have to make decisions that are in their best interest over the best interest of the company. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they they stay with the company. But sometimes that means I have to let go of someone because their dream, their desire, their whatever is leading them down a different path. And sometimes I view it almost as like, you know, it's, it's a bird with a, with a baby in the nest. And sometimes you've got to intentionally kick them out of that nest, kick them out of where they're comfortable so that they can go down the path that they want to go down, where their dreams, their vision for their life possibly take them. Um, so, So that's number one. So number one, genuinely caring and understanding where they're trying to go, what they're trying to accomplish with their life, and then aligning what you do around that. The other investment I would say is this. It's the investment in helping people become better versions of themselves. Now, for us, that means that I intentionally invest in people coming into our company and working with different groups within our company based on where they need help to level up themselves as team members, as future leaders in our organization. So I'm putting money into areas that don't benefit me directly. And to be honest with you, in so many ways, they don't directly benefit the company, especially not in the short term. But in the long run, those investments pay off. And I know I probably, maybe I didn't give enough specifics, but I would say this, that when it comes to thinking about our businesses and investing in our businesses, I would tell you that the long-term best investment is going to be in the culture that you're fostering, the culture that you're creating in your company, in your organization.
0: It's fascinating. We're writing some notes as you were talking through, right? I think the um... It's, not, it's never about things, right? Um, uh, and the big companies give a lot of things, right? But creating that environment where the people are valued and feel worth, right? And that they're improving um is tremendous and really difficult to find in the marketplace today.
1: Yeah, I, I would say this, you know, we're coming out of the season where um it's been dubbed as the great resignation, right? So everyone's leaving jobs, everyone's quitting jobs. And again, I've got this generation that most of the people are talking about. And my my core team, um, they've been here. So same age bracket, they they've been here five years, six years. Um, they've been here long term. And yeah, we have others that have been here multiple years as well under that. But um it's because we're choosing to invest in them and believe in them. And, you know, I think it was um it may have been Andrew Carnegie. So he was the great steel Uh, magnet who built kind of the steel, US steel empire industry. And I believe it was him who said that, that, you know, working with people and and investing in people and um, building up, bringing up people, it's a lot like mining for gold. There's a lot of dirt that has to be removed. There's a lot of stuff that's got to be moved out of the way to get to the nuggets of gold. And that is true for your people. That is true for your culture. There's always going to be a lot of stuff that's got to be removed, and you know what? To get to the goal, that's where a lot of the investment gets spent. It's not in, like you talked about, the fancy kitchens. It's not in the snacks. It's not in the, you know, the the babysitting services because for most small businesses, that's completely unrealistic and, and not possible. But what it is in, it is in helping them see a future for themselves that they necessarily can't see, but you can see, and you believe in them enough to help them get there. And that, you know, it's very um, philosophical, I guess, but there's very tactical things that create that environment, that build that team. And those things are very intentional.
0: What sort of tools have you found or used to help guide that process for these people, right? So starts off with a conversation, right? You've got their goals, their dreams, somewhere that's gotta be internalized, written down, so you can help get them there, right? Uh, And help, uh, in my experience, craft milestones for them along that journey, right? And for all intents and purposes, hold them accountable, right? For themselves to help them, you know, get better. What sort of tools or, you know, have you found have been successful in, you know, creating that framework and being able to stick to that framework for your people?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna disappoint you with this answer, but the best tool that I have found is Google Calendar. So I am I am um, by default I'm not a people person. I'm a super high level introvert. I would rather go hide at my desk and you know stare at my computer screen all day than than you know have these conversations with my with my team. And so the best tool for me has been to put time on my calendar that recurs, but it feels random to them. In other words, it's not like, oh, it's nine o'clock on Monday. Wayne's about to come ask me this question or check in with me, right? It's got to feel natural. It's got to feel genuine. And so for me, just simply putting that information in the calendar, you know, you know, a conversation that, that comes to mind right now with somebody. Um, so one of the things that we do for our team members is I allow them to write a vision for what they see their future looking like. And then I make them share that with the entire team. Now, other team members have done that, but they share that within the context of their team that they're on. But when they share that vision, I'm listening and I'm watching for things that I can help fulfill or help achieve. So I've got somebody on my team right now. And about a year ago, they wrote that they could see themselves in the future teaching leadership to other companies and other businesses and other organizations around the country. And so for me as a leader, like. And this is amazing. Like I've got this this leader here who has this desire to to go out and help others learn leadership and teach leadership. How can I develop them? How can I help them get to that point? And so one of the very first things that that I did was I said, okay, um, what I want you to do is as you encounter these leadership um, scenarios that you deal with every day, I want you to journal about them because what's going to happen a year from now, you're not going to remember what happened today in terms of the way you led, the way you dealt with a situation that was tricky or tough. I want you to begin putting those things in writing. And then what I would like for you to do is once a month, I want you to pick two of those lessons and I want you to share it with our leadership team on what you're learning. So again, it's, a, it's about this idea of understanding, getting clear, helping them get clear about what they want for the future. And once they internalize that, once they write it down, you can then pick up the bits and pieces where you can encourage, you can help direct and steer them in that direction. And, you know, it, it's it's so rewarding to see. Um, it, it truly is. Like that. that's the thing, as much of an introvert as I am, I love those conversations now. And I love watching my team members develop and grow and lean into things that they otherwise probably would never have leaned into.
0: Great example of taking kind of the introversion on a personal level, right? To, to build the culture. Are there, how have you augmented, right? um, Given you're an introvert and culture tends to be at least stereotypically more an extroverted community-based type of, we'll call it, you know, picture or symbol around uh, what culture looks like. Do you, Find someone else on the team who's very strong at that, who helps lead that, right? Like, how do you you create that balance?
1: Yeah, so I think number one is I get out of the way. Um, You know, from a leadership perspective, I think in business, there are two things that take place. And I use the analogy of a border collie, um, which is a dog that herds sheep or cattle, and a bodyguard. And as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we are often used to and often enjoy being the hero, right? So especially in the early days, like we're constantly jumping in, we're saving the day. We know how to do every single thing. Um, and it feels good. Like we get a lot of satisfaction out of being the hero. But over time, what we must learn is we must learn to allow our team members to be the hero. So the analogy of the border collie versus the bodyguard is this, that when things are going well with your organization, you should be the border collie. You should be at the back. You should be gently guiding and steering where they're going. Now there's things that have to be in place obviously to do that. You have to have a clear vision for where you're taking your company. You have to have a mission that is compelling, right? So that's kind of the why behind it. And then you have to have clear expectations set on what are our values? How do we operate? How what are the guardrails that ensure that we're staying in the right direction? But as the leader, my job is not to be out front and say, hey, look at me, you know, follow me. You know, look at the success that that I've enabled or created. Instead, when things are going well, I believe it's our job to step to the back and to allow them to be up front, allow them to own that spotlight. The flip of that, just super quick, is, is the bodyguard. When things are going tough, we should be like the bodyguard. We should put ourselves in the front. We should push the crowd. We should push you know, if we've got an irrational customer or client for some reason, we should step up in that situation and protect our team members. And we should take responsibility for when things aren't going well, because at the end of the day, everything that takes place within our organizations rests on our shoulders, whether we were directly responsible for it or not. So all that to say long, long answer to your question, but, What I have created through this culture is a culture where people can step up and thrive and people can create the culture based on the vision, based on the future where we're heading. In other words, I don't have to be out front saying, come with me, come with me, come with me. Like Here's where we're going. Instead, I'm in the back saying, you know the vision, you've seen the vision. And As a matter of fact, each of you have written a vision within where we're trying to head My job is to help steer, help guide, support, help remove obstacles along the way. And so for me, it's been about getting out of the way and allowing them to shine.
0: What's the most exciting thing you're working on today, Wayne?
1: The people, um, you know, and to be honest with you, five years ago, that would not have been my answer because the introvertedness of me and the fact that I dealt with some, some, you know, quote unquote, pretty traumatic people related issues in my business. Um, I I didn't want to engage with people. I wanted to avoid people. I hated one-on-one meetings. I hated our team meeting. And this was the company that I created, right? I, I dreaded those things. But now I look forward to those things. Those things excite me. I mean, I don't know what else could be more exciting than actually watching someone lean into and live into a vision for the future that they've created for themselves. To me, that is the most exciting and most wonderful thing in the world to witness.
0: Did your vision transform when you went from pre people focus to people focus in terms of, you know, the impact you're trying to create and where you wanted to, you know, to leverage the company.
1: It did. So company-wide vision, we write three years in the future, and that's kind of the horizon that we work towards. Um, but within that, I have my own vision for how I lead. What does my role look like within the company? Um, and so my vision changes more, frequent, more frequently than the three-year company vision changes.
0: Fascinating. What's, uh, for people who want to get connected with you, Wayne, what's, what's the best way for them to be able to connect?
1: Sure. The simplest place is just our website, uglymugmarketing.com all of our email addresses, uh, social media, phone numbers, all that stuff's right there on the website.
0: Awesome. Really appreciate you being on the show today, Wayne, and sharing your insights. I think super valuable and uh, really appreciate them. Thank you so much, Liam. i enjoyed our chat. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps towards your financial success.